Welcome to the Love of Purple podcast. I'm your host, Krista Kokot, a self-made entrepreneur, married for 25 years, mom to two amazing grown men, a coffee mug collector, a dog lover, author, and a speaker. Currently living my passion as a life coach for women, helping them rediscover their identity, heal emotional baggage so that they can find purpose beyond traditional roles. Each week on the Love of Purple podcast, I share success stories and techniques from myself and other entrepreneurs and experts, showing you exactly how you can live a life filled with passion and purpose. Let's get to it. Well, you guys, welcome to the very first episode of the Love of Purple podcast. (laughs) I'm so excited that you guys are here. Thank you so much for joining. And I just want to tell you that if you uh, love this podcast, I'd love you to take a screenshot of this episode or any of the next ones that you're going to be listening to, share it to your social media, leave a review on iTunes, leave a review on iTunes, and that would be super helpful for getting the word out. All right, you guys... I had this vision of doing a podcast six years ago. This is when podcasts were like just becoming, you know, I mean, I think they were quite big, but I was just getting on the bandwagon and I had about six episodes, solo episodes uploaded to iTunes and I chickened out and I let fear get in the way. And I'm like, nobody's going to listen and who's going to need this. And you guys, I would have been like massive (laughs) if I had done it back then. It's never too late. The moral of the story, you guys, it's never too late. However, what I have learned is this divine timing is everything. So maybe I wasn't ready to put it out there yet. And it also made me realize that along the last six years, I have done a lot of learning about people pleasing. And so that is where this, this podcast actually originated. This is the grassroots. This is where my heart is. This is where the moral of a lot of this podcast will be around why the need to people please so desperately. And every week I'm going to be talking about something different along those lines. I will be having, um, different speakers come on and entrepreneurs, colleagues of mine, experts in this area of why we do the things that we do in order to please other people. And there's always a deep needed root in there besides just the human nature of wanting to be liked. We all have that. Um, What I am going to be talking about is where it stops us from taking action or we take action to please other people to get their feedback Uh, or what happened to me, and I call myself a recovering people pleaser now, is that I found myself not taking action in my life because I was afraid of what other people were going to think. So that, my friends, is where the Love of Purple podcast comes into play. The Love of Purple is, (laughs) I will tell you why that one's there. It is because I didn't even know what my favorite color was up until I started this self-development journey. People might ask me what my favorite color was, and I would float all over the place. Black, gray, navy blue, red, yellow. It was just, I didn't have one because I was looking to other people to feel validated on, was that color okay? Was that color, is, that okay? is it okay to say that my, my favorite color is navy blue? 
to that degree, you guys. I don't know if anybody can relate out there. I know a lot of my clients that come to me are like, you totally hit on the head when you said you didn't know what your favorite color was because it's something that simple and yet we don't even know what our favorite color is. And it's not that it, who cares if you do or don't. The thing is, is that it was deep rooted inside of me is that I was looking to other people to tell me that. So I came to the understanding and the realization and the love and the, I love purple. Purple is my jam. So I've gone a little overboard in a lot of my stuff with purple, but you know, it's like purple cups, purple pens, purple journals, purple oil things, purple walls. It's purple purses, a purple sweater. I got it. We're on brand. We like purple. So that is where the podcast name comes from you guys. And I am so I'm just so excited to bring on all the people that I have. I'm excited to share my knowledge with you. I don't know about you, but I listen to a lot of inspirational podcasts. If I don't feel like reading, if I just need a daily dose of like, bam, goodness, um, you know, to get me fired up, I have certain people that I follow. And so that is what I want for you guys. I want you guys to listen and walk away knowing A, you're not alone in whatever it is that you're thinking and dealing with in life and be with ways that you can actually move forward in your life. Because when we become aware, it's then our, it's up to us and it's our decision. Nobody can do it for us, whether or not we move forward. And you can have all the tips. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can read all the books. You can sign up for all the courses, but until you take action in your life, nothing's going to change. You can blame your past till the cows come home. You can sit in your, you know, this is my mess and woe is me. Nothing's going to change you guys. I am not saying that we don't deal with it and we don't heal from it because that's a huge portion of what I do and how I help women as a life coach is we do a lot of healing from our past that is raising its ugly head as we try and move forward it keeps us from moving forward sometimes those stories that we've played in our in our head right so i <clears throat> i guess my thing for you guys is i'm just going to share with you a little bit about my life so that you know who you're who you're listening to who is in your ear sharing this nuggets of wisdom every single week and a little bit about me so that when you listen to podcasts that are going to be released, you can understand where I'm coming from and understand a little bit about me. So I'm just going to share my story of when I was young and to where I am today and why I call myself a recovering people pleaser and where that started for me. And um, I'm hoping that I can give you some insight and I hope that I can um, just reach your soul a little bit inside and stir something that makes you relate and be able to go, ah, yes, I see that. I feel that I am that, or I've been there and ways that I have gotten out of it, gotten out of that people pleasing or gotten out of, um, how to stay in your own lane as the self-development world says (laughs) is like, stay in your own lane, focus on your own stuff, quit looking around, put your blinders on. So when I was six years old, I lived in Ontario with my sister and my mom and dad were going through a divorce. They were separated at the time. 
and we lived with our mother in an apartment complex. Um, one afternoon, my mom had left and left my sister and I with a babysitter and she went to town and my dad came, we were swimming in a pool, my sister and I, my dad came through the gate and I saw him and we hadn't seen him for a couple weeks. I don't remember the last time I had seen him. Um, we did get to see him every now and then, but I, at that age, I don't remember, you know, what, how old I was or how long it had been. And so we got out of the pool, we ran over to him and we gave him a great big hug and we loved our dad to death. And um, he told the babysitter, he said, I'm allowed to take the girl, their mother said I could take them for ice cream. And she said, okay, obviously this wouldn't happen in this day and age, but she said, okay, he took us, he got into the car, we got into the, we ran to the car, he threw us in the back seat. And when we drove away, he said, girls, are you ready for an adventure? And I remember thinking, not knowing at the time, but looking back now, I'm thinking, ah, something wasn't sitting right, but I didn't know what. And we drove away from the pool. We drove away from the babysitter and we drove away from my mom and my dad kidnapped us. So we never saw her again for 23 years until I became an adult. And in that moment, I became a caretaker for my dad and a mom to my sister. And I became an adult and I was six. And we were also told to not talk about it. My dad was very clear on what we could say and what we couldn't say about it. Um, if we met people while we were on the run, we just had to say that we were with our dad. I couldn't say anything about being taken from my mom, nothing. I don't even know really if I knew I had been taken you know, as a child, you don't know that. You just know you're on an adventure with your dad, right? You also don't understand as a child how many walls you put up and the trauma that hits you just like that. And so um, we traveled around. We went camping a lot. We kept being on the run. I found out later that my mom had gone home, found out that we were taken, and my dad had gone over the state line. There was, I don't know, how it happened that he got across from Canada into the States because we ended up in the States right away. Um, that is something that we had no passports, um, nothing like that. So he was able to jump the line and we started going on the run into the States. And my mom did hire private investigators, FBI, sheriffs, county sheriffs. And this was way back in 1979. Um, so he just kept getting, he just kept moving from state to state to state to stay ahead of her. Um, he did not want her to have full custody of us and he wanted to make sure that he, he had us. So, um, there came a point that we ended up settling down in Colorado and they had a phone call. Again, I found out later because at the time, again, this is what trauma does to you. This is what you do. It's your normal. And he made chaos normal. My dad was really good at making, bringing normal, normalcy, 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 normal. You guys know what I'm saying. He knew how to make chaos normal. He knew how to make change good. <laughs> he made it fun. We were on an adventure all the time, all the time. We went to New Mexico. We went to Knott's Berry Farm. We went to Disneyland. We met new people and we had lunches and dinners at people's campsites and met all the time. 
So there came a time when um, I believe I was around maybe seven or eight that they had a conversation on the phone, my mom and dad, and she had just told him to stop running and she would stop chasing. And she said, just stop running around with them. Stop being on the run. Give them a normal life. Give them a family. Give them some friends. Just stop running with the girls and I'll stop chasing. So he did. And when I was 10, he got remarried. He met a lady uh, from Tennessee that she became my stepmom. When, and she brought in two daughters. When that happened, that once again was my family. No talking about my past. No talking about my birth mom. Um, my sister who he had also kidnapped, the two of us were together. And then the new family, my stepmom and my stepsisters, they were now my family. That's all I was allowed to talk about. And again, all of this was so quick. And so this is what life is. This is what life was. Um, I remember craving a mother. I needed that mom. And so I latched onto my stepmom. And I asked her on their wedding day, can I call you mom? Because I knew I was just craving, I was missing that. Um, I couldn't vocalize it. I just knew I felt it. And um, so then they got married and that was down in Colorado. And a year later, they had a baby and we moved back up to Canada. He and my dad packed us all up and we moved back up to Canada. And we ended up in Canmore, which is a small town in, in, um, in Alberta right in the Rocky Mountains. And I started grade seven there. And all along, the only safe person that I could ever talk to about my mom was my sister, my real sister. And we would go to bed at night and I would often ask, you know, I wonder where mom is. I wonder what she's doing. And every now and then, every now and then, if my dad and I were alone and I could see how he was, cause he was very strict, very religious. Um, God was uh, somebody to be feared. Um, he was very controlling, which I now learn and now know that that is a fear-based um, action, being in control as you're scared. And I know he was scared. And I also know my dad's past. But again, that came through healing on my own journey, um, that he acted the way he did for fear and control. And he was trying to control the situation. And so when I was alone with him, every now and then I would say, have you, have you heard from mom? Or I wonder where mom is. And he would say, your mom's in the living room. And I would say, oh, I mean, Donna. And I would say her name. And he would say, oh, I don't know, honey. I haven't, I haven't heard from her. And that's it. And I knew not to talk about it again. So it was very, very, don't say anything. And even my dad's past, I knew about his past, about his, his own dad passed away, my grandpa and his little sister in a tragic car accident, uh, train accident. And I wasn't allowed to talk about that either. And so I just knew, you know, you know, as a kid, what you don't, what you're not allowed to say, you learn very, very quickly. And I learned very quickly the tightrope walking of what to say, what not to say, and sometimes even not saying something was worse, right? It was like this, I was, I was always waiting for the volcano to explode. It was like, if I was asked a question, I wasn't sure what the right answer was because heaven forbid I share what I actually felt. And I never even knew what I actually felt because I was told what to feel. I was told what to say at such a young age. So started grade seven up in Canmore and dove into, um, 
lying, making up stories about my life because I wanted attention and I wasn't able to, to speak the truth. And as a kid in grade seven, 12 years old, I just was craving to fit in. I was a 12 year old girl. I was craving to fit in. Um, when the lying didn't work, when they, when they figured me out there, I got into drugs and alcohol and joined the wrong crowd. And it was a small town and I got accepted there. And when I was 16, 15 years old, I ended up with alcohol poisoning. So I drew, I went on this bender for as long as I could and snuck out of the house all the time, was crying out for attention from my dad. He was a workaholic. He uh, was an entrepreneur. He started up his own business up in the mountains and he was gone a lot. He was gone a lot. And when he was home with my stepmom and all of us girls, it was walking on eggshells. You weren't sure what kind of mood he was going to be in. He was the type of man that would give the shirt off his back to help anybody, even at the sake of his family. And in the next breath, no drinking, no dancing, no sex before marriage, no you know, movies, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> it was just very, very strict and very, very controlling. And so even when he was around, we felt that there was this demeanor of control over the family and control. I felt it. And so I never really truly felt like I could be myself, even though I was very hyper. Um, I don't even want to say hyper. I was just very loud. I was boisterous. I was, I liked to keep the peace within the family. If I ever felt there was any disharmony or there was disruption going on, or there was an argument that meant danger, that meant something bad was going to happen. So I better diffuse that quickly. And I would, I would make sure there'd be peace within the family at all times. Now that's how I felt around there. And so when I ended up with alcohol poisoning at 15 years old, I ended up in the hospital and um, the gig was up. No longer was I allowed to party. My dad took me and I was in a public school and he moved my sister and I, my real sister Kim and I down to a private Christian school about an hour and 15 minutes away. We had to drive every single morning and then after school come home. So he took me out of that environment that I was going downward and placed me in a different school. And Looking back, I'm able to say, you know, that was the best thing he could have done for me because I was on a downward spiral big time. I didn't like it at the time. I found it again, controlling and manipulative and how dare he. However, it was one of the best moves that he could have done because I was crying out for help. I was screaming um, that I need, I wanted to be paid attention to, and I needed some affirmations and I needed some love and I needed, you know, quality time. And so moved down there, graduated. And then as soon as I hit 17, I graduated from high school and I was out and I left and went to Australia for a year and with a girlfriend and we went to Bible school down there. Cause that was the only way that I was going to be able to travel is if I said I was going to Bible school. <laughs> so I did. And you know, one thing that I'm extremely grateful, there's lots of things I'm grateful for through this whole messy, you know, kind of life that I've had. One thing is that as religious as it was, my dad gave me a, a really beautiful spiritual connection to God. And I do talk about God. And today, um, it triggers a lot of people. And I understand that because of how you were brought up and what God has meant to you and how, 
it maybe have been forced down your throat. And I understand that completely. And that's why the universe and energy and that inner voice, and there's different ways you can call it. And for me, it's still, I'm okay with God, but I haven't always been that way because it was forced down my throat. And I was forced to go to church every single Sunday and Friday night and wear skirts and sing and dance and, you know, speak in tongues. And I didn't understand any of it. I was just forced to do it. It was not a relationship. It was a religion. And today I have a beautiful relationship and it is a spiritual connection and it's love and it's forgiveness. It's compassion. It's understanding. And God is something so much greater than myself. So um, that is something I'm completely grateful for that my dad did introduce in his own way. And then um, I figured it out on my own throughout the last you know, few years. So uh, I came back from Australia and worked for a while and got married actually when I was 21. I met my husband in Canmore, Banff, and my current husband now of 25 years. And we met and married and it was just the thing to do at that age, you met someone at that time. And my dad was like, okay, this is good. And I fell head over heels in love with him. Uh, he was very athletic. He still is. And he reminded me of my dad in certain ways. Um, his, his athleticism, his love of people, his love for helping other people without the controlling aspect in there. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that. I, uh, that's something that I always say that was divine and God knew that, that um, and his love for me was something that I felt from the very, very beginning. And so we ended up getting married and a few years later, a couple years later, we started to have children. And so we had our two boys. And when my boys were four and no, two and four, I wanna say, yeah, about two and four, I started to hit a real dark, dark depression and um, started to get really, I just started to get uncomfortable in my life and I couldn't get out of bed. So my husband's like, I think you need to go see a counselor. And I'm like, yes, I think you're right. So I did. And she said, has anything traumatic happened in your life? And I'm, I remember her asking me that. And I looked and I'm like, no, nothing really. And she's like, okay, well, let's just start at the beginning and see, you know, see what's going on. So I start, I'm like, well, and I, I felt almost that I wasn't even allowed to tell her I was in this privacy and the safety of her office uh, for this room. I was sitting on a couch and I was drinking ginger tea and I'm like, I don't know. I'm just feeling really sad and really down and kind of depressed. And I don't really know, you know, what's bringing it on. And she's like, okay, well, do you have kids. And I said, yeah, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you tell me what happened to you around? And I said, well, my parents got divorced. And I said, at six years old, my dad kidnapped me and my sister. And I don't, I think that time, I don't even think I said the word kidnapped because I didn't believe that that's what it was. I believe that he just took us and she was okay with it. And it wasn't like that at all. She was not okay with it. And he did take us without her knowing. And so, but I didn't know that yet. I still was under the impression and still in that protective mechanism and only had been told what he only knew what he had told us. And so um, whenever I would ask about my mom, my dad would say, she left us. She left us, sweetie. So that was my understanding. And so I remember telling the therapist sitting there and I said, well, you know, at six years old, my mom left us and my dad took us and we, you know, traveled around the States and he got remarried and she's like, Oh, do you see your mom ever? And I said, no, she's like, never. And I said, no, 
And she's like, oh, honey, you've got some abandonment issues. And I said, what's that? <laughs> I had no idea what that was. So that was my very first start of healing myself and understanding and realizing. And that was at 27 years old. So that was a while ago. And from that moment, even up until, you know, I was married and had kids. And, and then when, um, when I was 30, um, we decided, my sister and I decided to find our mom. We hired a private investigator to find her. And there was, this started through the therapy that my counselor was like, I really think you're missing a piece of the puzzle and something's missing here. Do you want to ever find her? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And so my sister and I are like, you know what? We really need to find her. Let's not tell dad because he didn't, he wouldn't have been okay with it. And we didn't want to hurt our stepmoms. So we're like, we're going to, we're, you don't talk about this. So we're just not going to talk about it. Her and I met with a private investigator and we hired her on Thursday night. And she found our birth mom on Friday evening and she lived down in Houston, Texas. And we met her on the Sunday and she flew up to Canada. We phoned her and she had been, you know, praying our whole life that we had been alive and that we were well, she'd heard nothing, nothing of us. And so she flew up and we met her and then we got to ask a lot of questions and why she left us or you know why she didn't look for us longer and those were all questions that i needed to have answered and today it's still you know 13 years later i'm still every day forgiving and knowing that she did the best she could with what she knew how and with who she was and it was forgiving my dad i was never ever ever angry with him because he gave us a good life he gave us a really good life However, I was sad. I was confused. Um, it wasn't until the last couple of years that I've allowed to let that anger come out through different modalities that I have worked through. Um, but in those moments, I remember when I found her, I wasn't angry at her. I wasn't angry at my dad. It was nothing. I was like, okay. It was almost like I was shell-shocked. It was like this shock of, of, you know, don't get angry because you don't, don't get sad because you don't, don't show emotion. And I was, I'm in a very emotional person. I have the gift of empathy. And so that we met her. And then in that next year, she actually met my dad again and they forgave each other and they had a, you know, nice talk and they were able to put the past behind them. And my mom saw my sister and I and how well adjusted we were and what beautiful you know, humans we were, she was able to forgive him. And in the 2005, my dad was in a tragic car accident and he was, he died. He fell asleep at the wheel and he passed away. And that was 2005. And in that moment is when my life turned upside down. So that was 13 years ago almost 14 years ago. And my life has never been the same since. He was the person that told me what to say, what to think, what to eat, who to believe in, what not to believe in, who to talk to, who to help. Even after I got married, even after I had my children, he was somebody that I still talk to and not my husband. What it has allowed me to do is find out who Krista is. And for the few years after he died, I went into a really dark place. I drank too much. I partied a little too much. I didn't want to feel 
the pain of the loss of my dad at all. I didn't know how I was going to go on. I remember sitting out on my front step the day after he had died, the day after his accident, and I was journaling. And I've always been a journaler. And I wrote in my journal, I don't know how I'm going to take another breath without my dad here. And I was married to an amazing man and two boys. And I still had that deep, deep feeling of how I didn't know how I was going to go on another day without him. That is how codependent and dependent I was on him. So the next few years of going through that darkness, um, of trying to numb the pain I ran and I tried exercising to get rid of the pain. I tried drinking to get rid of the pain. I did so many different things. I pushed people away. I burnt so many bridges in my grief. Grief rears its ugly head and it is a beast and a mind of its own. And what I learned through all of that, coming through that to the other side, starting to see another counselor because the road I was on was leading me nowhere and it was getting me nowhere fast. Um, I went to another counselor. I went to a grieving, a grief counselor and I started my road to recovery. And I started my road of looking down of what I needed to heal, realizing, realizing that I had abandonment issues from the nth degree, that I was a people pleaser beyond, beyond the word people pleasing. I needed, desired, I had to have people like me. No matter what it took, I would wear whatever hat needed to be worn. I would do, I would chameleonize to anything just so people would like me. And that was tiring, you guys. That was so, so tiring. And so what I have found is that when my dad's voice was silenced on Father's Day, February 17th, 2005, is when I found my voice. And so over the last, I want to say seven years is when I, seven years ago is when I hired my first life coach and I hired a life coach going, I need you to help me with my business. I'd owned a fitness business um, boot camp at the time. And I'm just not happy with who I am. I'm just not completely content. And that is when everything shifted for me. And that is what led me ultimately to doing what I'm doing today, because the power in dealing with so many of our past issues, and we might not even know that they're there. We don't even know they're there until things in our present rise up. And maybe we can't move forward in our business or in our relationships or, you know, in any, in our fitness, in our, I see it over and over and over about how people want to lose weight, but they just keep gaining. And it's nothing to do with the food. It's all to do with emotion. Uh, people want, you know, to get paid more. They want to make more in their business, but they, they can't for some reason. It's because they've got a money block of something that happened in their past. People want to change jobs or they want to quit doing what they're doing. They want to change friendships. Their relationships are, are toxic, but they don't know how because that's what they think they deserve. And so what I do now throughout my whole experience in taking life coaching courses and so many self-development courses and child healing, inner child healing, and just doing different work within myself has led me to where I am today. And the passion that I have, you guys, for just helping women and men, if you're listening out there, 
is just knowing that every single day is a choice on how you want to live your life. And it wasn't until I started the deep work and started to understand this about myself that we don't have to live we don't have to live every single day with woe is me. We don't have to live for other people. We get the choice on how we want to live our life. And every single one of you, you guys, this is the most important thing. We all have a story. I'm not special. You're not special in the fact that it hasn't been done before. It hasn't happened before. Now, you're unique in your story. I'm unique. You guys out there listening might be like, yeah, I don't know anyone else that's ever been kidnapped from their mom. Yeah, that's unique. However, what's not unique is people being told not to talk. People being told not to say something, keep quiet, religion. This is so old. This is so, this is what's so beautiful when you start talking and sharing about your story and about why you are the way you are. People come out of the woodwork going, yeah, me too. Yep, that happened to me too. How do I get through this? How do I move forward? So as a life coach, that's what I do now. Um, I just wrote my memoir. I'm in the proceeds of editing it and rewriting a lot of it and digging a lot deeper into it. And that's been super therapeutic for me to do that as well. I cannot wait for that to get published. It is called Then Sings My Soul, and it was one of my dad's favorite songs. I have a tattoo on it, and also it is about me finding my voice and singing from my soul now. So it's got a beautiful, there's beautiful uh, reasons why that is the topic of the book. So, okay, that was long. <laughs> Whenever someone goes, hey, can you just tell me a quick uh, you know, story about your life? I'm like, Oh, sweet Jesus. There is no such thing as short. <laughs> I don't know how to condense this. I tried a million times. So what I will say is that we all have, uh, we all, you guys, every single one of you out there have a beautiful, beautiful story. And maybe you don't think you do. That was me. I never thought I had a story because it was my normal. I know I'm getting a lot of people going, yeah, that's me too. It's my normal. And then what happens is, is that our normal keeps us from moving forward because we just poo-poo it under the table. We're like, that's nothing. Yeah, no, you're supposed to get treated like shit. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're supposed to, you know, put up with that. No, you're not. You're not supposed to say anything. Yes, you are. You're supposed to keep quiet. No, you're not. No, you're not. So that is what I give a lot of people permission to do now is make a ruckus, speak your truth, voice, speak up. Say what you need to say to your partner. Say what you need to say to your kids. Walk into your boss's off office and ask for a raise. Tell him why you deserve a raise. All that kind of good stuff. So that is me in a nutshell. And I cannot wait to take you on this journey, you guys. I'm going to have my husband come on here. And he's going to share a little bit about me. <laughs> and we're going to share a little bit about us. Because I know a lot of people want to know how we met and a little bit about our, uh, you know, our life together. It's been 25 years. So that one's going to be a fun one. And then I've got a lot of soul sisters and entrepreneurs that I bring on here talking about their life experiences with uh, people pleasing and just different ways that we can find our identity um, after just being a mom or being, um, you know, a wife or all we've never known is the business world and we want something different. And so I have all those women coming on as well. So you guys, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. If 
this was at all useful you, for you, I'm just going to remind you to please take a screenshot, share it onto your social media platform. Let's get the word out there that there's another amazing podcast <laughs> called The Love of Purple. And every week I'm going to be dropping a new one. So looking forward to having you guys along. And again, I appreciate you guys so much for touching base. Feel free to DM me on Instagram. I'm there at Krista underscore Cocott. I am on Facebook at Krista Cocott Life Coach. And you can find me there. And I am super active on both, both of those platforms. So, all right, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll chat with you again. Bye.